0: Hello,
1: friends, and welcome to the Gospel Beautiful Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Chan. Today's conversation is with Rhymes McElveen. Rhymes is the executive director of Mere Christianity Forum. Mere Christianity Forum is a collegiate ministry at Furman University. And uh, just to use the language of their own website, they uh, promote the thoughtful exploration of Christian faith through powerful conversations and authentic community. Uh, so recently I have been trying to uh, feature a little bit more frequently uh, voices that are um, kind of in the sphere of college and young adult ministry. Part of that is because I think that um, the church is paying insufficient attention to this demographic and to the way that to the way that. Uh, uh, folks within this age group—not just college students, but you know, young adults, some in college, some not—I I think we're paying insufficient attention to the way that the way that um, their articulations of faith, either acceptance of or rejection of, or you know, somewhere in between, uh, uh, is not you know kind of properly shaping how the church is thinking about its uh, calling and mission within the world. And I have just found in the months now that I've known Rhymes, I have found him to be one of the most thoughtful voices in this space. I think part of it is just he's uh, he's in the mix all the time with, with young people and he kind of understands um, uh, many of the things that they're experiencing, how they're interpreting and experiencing this world. But he's also just very thoughtful. I think part of this comes from his... Um, just the interesting path that he took into ministry. He's somebody who's spent a significant time in public service and also within the worlds of kind of government and policy. And so it just gives him a really unique perspective on uh, uh, on on college ministry. So um, his links are in the show notes below. And, um, otherwise I just want to thank you for tuning in and say that I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. This, uh, rhymes was actually referred, uh, one of my, my friend, our mutual friend, Andy Keck referred, uh, referred me to rhymes and I'm so grateful. It just reminds me to tell you all that I would really appreciate hearing, um, suggestions, suggest the names of suggested guests, or if there are books that have been particularly impactful for you, preferably kind of recently published ones. Uh, Just reach out and let me know. I would absolutely love to hear what those recommendations are. Uh, Right now, we're going to turn to a few brief words from our sponsors, and then we will jump into my conversation with Rhymes. Thanks again for tuning in. Baker Academics serves the academy and the church by publishing works that further the pursuit of knowledge and understanding within the context of Christian faith. They connect authors and readers across the broader academic community, by publishing books that reflect historic Christianity and its contemporary expressions. Baker Academic authors are scholars who are leaders in their fields, write ironically, and display a healthy respect for other perspectives and traditions. Baker Academic is a proud sponsor of the Gospel Beautiful podcast. Thank you for listening. Hey there, Gospel Beautiful Podcast listeners. This is Brian Schrader, creator of Worship Forward, a resource for progressive, innovative worship leaders. Here you'll find conversations about arranging hymns for your worship band, using song lyrics that promote justice, and how to choose great worship songs to use at your church. Check it out at worshipforward.blog. Rhymes, thank you so much for joining me today. Happy to have you as part of the conversation.
0: Michael, thank you for the invitation. It's a privilege to be with you and um, to be asked. Uh, Really excited for our conversation.
1: Well, so have I, so am I, Rhymes. I've just really appreciated the opportunity to get to know you and, uh, and your ministry. And I just want to acknowledge Andy Keck, who is a, a mutual colleague, someone we both know, and he had recommended that I get in touch with you. Andy's been helpful in terms of broadening my
0: networks. <laughs> I, I, well, I mean, just helping I me he, make
1: deeper connections.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's the same for me. Yeah, the same for me. He's, he's been a, a, a genuine friend and colleague in that manner as well
1: yeah he is just he is just fabulous so well um rhymes, do you have a a really interesting uh journey into ministry? maybe you could say somewhat unconventional. Would you talk a little bit about um your your journey to right now you I should just say that you are the executive director of mere Christianity Forum. Um, which can be found at uh, faithreasontomfoolery.org. all of which those links are all in the in the show notes. But um, you're functioning in a ministry capacity now full time. You didn't necessarily leave college with that, you know, it, uh, it, precisely on that path. So maybe talk a little bit about how you uh, made your way onto the ministry track.
0: Oh, well, <laughs> I don't know how unconventional it is necessarily, um, but it was definitely unfolding. Uh, ever-evolving. You know, I was one of those guys who a lot of people kept asking, like most college students probably are, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to do next? You know, that that question comes, you know, a million times when you're in college and for some folks even younger. And um, for me as a political science and urban studies double major, I really was thinking more about Um, public service or law, those kinds of things more than anything, Um, a little bit business as well. And had been encouraged actually in, in all those, those capacities. My father um, owned his own business, uh, a private pharmacy for 50 years. And, and so that was very much a part of of my formation in, um, you know, being in the household of someone with a small business. And, but, Really, when um, I was a sophomore at, at Furman, I experienced a, a real awakening of my own spiritual identity and and a sense of calling um, to follow Christ with abandon. And that was something that happened in a real kind of spiritually charged moment. Um, I was actually <clears throat> on spring break <laughs> uh, on a on a really large um, boat in. Um, had a real kind of, uh, existential meeting with the Holy Spirit where basically I, I felt a sense of accountability, um, to begin pursuing for myself, um, the way of faith that I had been formed in as a, as a, a member of a, a family that was Christian, is Christian, um, But it it had been a a faith that I had inherited, not that was one that I necessarily identified as my own or that I sort of played state a a claim in and began sort of living around that. And and um, so I didn't really talk about that. Uh, It was it was kind of an overwhelming moment, but began to make some changes in my life. And in many ways, that actually was, was what ultimately I, I point back to now as, as both a calling to deeper Christian faithfulness or um, my own sense of, of Christian convictional commitment, and as well as a, a call to, to ministry. Um, and I though I didn't know what, that, what form that would take, and certainly as a, a product of, of a, a moderate Southern Baptist church in, in Georgia— really was steeped in that priesthood of all believers and and um, which I, I still uh, really uh, appreciate that theology and the sense that all of us have callings of many um, shades and stripes and iterations over the years and so I didn't have a sense that that meant that I was going to be a pastor of a local church or something like that which sometimes people really narrowly define Christian vocation which is I, I find quite Stifling and unhelpful, um, but I understand why why that that happens sometimes. And then I was not too long after that, given the the very complicated advice that, you know, well, if, if you can do anything other than go into ministry, um, you should do that because because if otherwise you'll be miserable if you go into ministry and and you could have done something or should have done something else. And um, so I was like, whoa, I don't I don't want to be miserable, um, so I, I better. Make sure, uh, um, and thinking about you know a full variety of things. So, actually, um, spent a semester in D.C. working for my congressman, who later became the the governor of Georgia, um, and then had a job opportunity with him when I finished Furman. Um, Also, uh, was interviewing with banks and businesses and um, a YMCA camp, and um, ended up going to work when I finished Furman with with a political science and urban studies degree, uh, going to work for a YMCA camp, which, you know, my parents were really stoked about. Um, <laughs> not really. They, they were fine and, and, and very supportive. Um, but, uh, went to work for a YMCA camp and, um, then actually that job was cut short. Um, uh, and the, the same weekend that that job was cut short, um, uh, basically due to a low um, registration for a particular program that I was directing, um, I actually ended up getting a job offer from Bell South uh, here in Greenville, South Carolina. And so uh, on Monday, after (laughs) finding that out on Thursday, um, I started work for Bell South and worked for Bell South um, in sales and, and had a very positive experience, but continued to feel a real sense of kind of growing or emerging um, calling to greater synchronicity between my identity in Christ and Christ and my calling to some kind of vocational ministry um, that was distinct from kind of ministry in the marketplace, which I think is a really important ministry in the world as well for lots of folks, And and um, but mine began to kind of evolve. And so I began praying more earnestly about seminary and, and feeling more and more that that was the next step but it wasn't that i felt like again it wasn't that i felt called to be a pastor and therefore i needed a terminal degree to to be able to qualify for that it was an unfolding sense of calling that it was the next step in the path was i really felt like um god was inviting me to pursue seminary and um so i did and ended up um n- Absolutely, by God's grace, getting into um, Duke Divinity School. Uh, I don't, still not quite sure that they read my application and didn't substitute it for someone else's, but um, somehow got into Duke Divinity School and ended up going there, which was fantastic, um, an incredibly formative experience, and uh, met my wife and um, wife there, who was also um, now we're both uh, actually ordained ministers in the United Methodist Church. Um, but for us, life and marriage and ministry and family are all just sort of uh bound up together. And um yeah.
1: Well, that's that's all that's all really helpful. I mean, anytime you can start a podcast with spring break on a boat and accountability, <laughs> things are probably <laughs> all doing
0: really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That story would have taken up more of the podcast than necessary. That's all right.
1: No, no, that's all right. I I appreciate that vocational journey. I mean, I I think it's not not entirely unique, you know, that people would take these winding paths into ministry. But I think there are some, the, the sort of policy DC connection is kind of interesting. And I think just, but what I think you see there is this impulse for service you know uh, of uh, a service for the public good and that seems to be you know a really important part of what you're doing well right now as i mentioned that's a very
0: charitable reading about public reading of of the vocation of public service i'm just gonna have to say that
1: it's more charitable reading of you than it is of the larger
0: (laughs) (laughs) well then 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 i've done a good job and have you snowed like the rest of the politicians out here so i I had a great experience in dc and met some awesome folks and and uh, you know, worked for a, a law firm as well when I was in college, exploring that vocation too. So, anyway, but
1: yeah, yeah no. The, <laughs> so right now, you're you're the executive director of Mere Christianity Forum. Now, one of the things I know from my own involvement in college uh, campus ministry is that so like freshman students arrive on campus, and often there are you know fairs to show the different uh, things that they can get involved in, and I have to imagine that there are a billion different types of Christian ministries and groups and service groups, different ways that they can quickly jump into some kind of social life. So just kind of imagine that in your mind and a new freshman comes up to you and says, well, what, what is it, what the kind of distinguishes a mere Christianity forum that might make me interested in your ministry?
0: Yeah, well, it's a it's a a great question and and certainly uh some some low hanging fruit there is a bit of a great fruit question you know how how would you greet a freshman if you met him at the at the religious life fair um but if i'm true to myself i actually would would um begin with a number of questions so i i actually think that it's important to know who you're talking to before you think it's what you have to say is important to share so um, I would ask you, uh, it, it would go something like this. Okay, Michael. Uh, hey, Michael, uh, my name's Rhymes and I work with Mirror Christianity 4. am one of the campus ministries here at Furman University. Uh, where are you from? And,
1: and so I guess I'm, I'm from northern Arizona.
0: Oh, seriously? Where Where in northern Arizona? Kingman. It's
1: right on uh, Route 66, actually.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, I-40, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, when I actually I was a firm student as well, and when I finished my first job out of college, I uh, drove a, a um, Winnebago full of ten middle school and high school students for three week laps around the United States, and Route sixty six was one of our routes when we were going out west. Believe it or not. So I've actually been right right near your home. You've probably
1: been right in there, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: have you have you spent any time at, at the Grand Canyon? Was that a part of your your life growing up?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh really that whole stretch from uh, Kingman over to Flagstaff, you know, on I-40 is we hunted a lot there. Spent a lot of time
0: outdoors in that whole area. Yeah, it's incredibly beautiful. It's beautiful, so, yeah. so starkly different from the lush uh location here. Is, is outdoor life kind of important to you?
1: It is. It's hugely important for me. And uh, yeah, so, you know, Furman is in a very different kind of environment. And so that's sort of an important thing for me to think about is how the outdoors will shape my experience here.
0: Okay, cool. Well, some of the most sacred experiences I've ever had uh, in my life have been in the desert, um, and particularly uh, approximate or in the Grand Canyon. And so I really Love that Um, we actually some of the things that we do with our students here is we actually uh, look at the relationship between um, Christian theological commitments and and kind of public life uh, through theological forums where we invite faculty to come and talk to students about things that are important to them, like stewardship of creation and how that has both a scientific and a deeply theological connection. Um, So we host theological forums on campus like that we do small group dialogues for to get students involved with um, other companions or friends on the journey we call those fellowship groups so we have small that's our small group model, you know, for students who are looking to do discipleship together or Christian formation together. Um, And that's usually six to eight people and they meet on a weekly basis. Um, and then you know that leads to other things like worship We have a, a collaborative worship experience called Sanctuary that we created last year with about six other campus ministries um, that's a lot more liturgical in tone and uh, intellectual and spirit and um, but still very grounded in, in Christian spiritual disciplines. Um, our ministry is ecumenical and so we introduce people to the depth and breadth of the Christian tradition in hopes that they'll discover and discern for themselves a vision and a version that they can live into with integrity. And so we try and encourage them in that exploration, because we know that a lot of students come to to uh, college not having been particularly religious or, or spiritual even, um, but curious about that. And then we also find that students are asking a lot of really big questions, sometimes for the first time. And so what we do is we try and give them great resources from across the Christian spectrum that they can lean into and in doing their own discernment about their kind of Christian convictions or Calling those kinds of things, um, and then we also have a summer ministry called the Servant Scholars, where students, if they want to stay in Greenville and serve in the Greenville community, we place them in nonprofit internships and give them books to read and set up dinner dialogues with faculty and clergy and nonprofit directors. Um, and so it makes for a really rich summer experience. Um, the other thing that I'll share with you bef- before we go is is that um, we also have a residential intentional Christian community called Vista House. And we're the only campus ministry that has a house off campus. It's pretty rare. And, um, but it's an open hospitality space for students, whether you're a Christian or not, it's just a place to find some sanctuary and, and some relaxation and play about every other Saturday night. We have game nights where students just go and hang out and enjoy themselves and make friends and get to know each other. But then we also have events like music nights and movie nights. And, um, uh, we do, um, brunches on study day and thanksgiving and christmas and uh homecoming and all these kinds of things so we'd love to have you get involved in in anything whether it's our our, our theological forums or small groups or um eventually as a junior or senior you could even live in christian community off campus at the vista house so that's a little bit about us but uh great to meet you and um hope you have an awesome day and um have make some connections at, at some of the campus ministries here
1: yeah i rhymes. I really appreciate that sort of dialogue through through It's obviously you 've done it before <laughs>
0: <laughs> once or twice it, it didn
1: 't feel too practiced, but it did feel like okay this we 're swimming in uh, you know familiar waters <laughs> um, but i did I do appreciate the kind of invitational tone and I feel like that is not just your personality coming through that also strikes me as sort of the ethos of the ministry as well that there is a a kind of invitation to exploring um, and even just in the, the the title that that it's about creating a forum, you know, where people can discover uh, it's ecumenical. I mean, can you maybe say something a little bit about that, like that, that sort of invitational tone to, to explore faith?
0: Absolutely. Um, You know, and that wasn't original to me, you know, I've been the director for 13 years, but uh, really a fantastic group of students that were very, creative and innovative, even precocious, created this ministry from scratch back in 2000, um, at a time in the life of the university where just six or eight years earlier, Furman had cut ties with the South Carolina Southern Baptist Convention, and the sort of spiritual and and denominational moorings were cut loose. And there was a real kind of um, gap around, students feeling like they had a place where they could kick the tires on Christianity, but not with a, a one-size-fits-all sort of um, either uh hyper-evangelical expression of collegiate ministry of a particular stripe or two, or um really staunchly denominationally affiliated collegiate ministries. And they really wanted to create a space where the seeker, the skeptic, and the deeply faithful could be in rich conversation and relationship. And so, you know, the stated mission of our organization is to promote the thoughtful exploration of Christian faith through conversation and community. And we believe that, you know, authentic relationships tend to emerge and the Holy Spirit shows up in places of deep transformative Um, conversation and and authentic community and so those are the kinds of models or modes of being together that we really lean into and so you're right to put your finger on that that we seek to be the most porous Christian presence on campus and off campus at the Vista House where people can experience a sense of belonging before they are expected um, if ever uh, to sort of um, name or claim a particular kind of believing or um, profession of faith, that sort of thing. The other thing is i found that it's really not useful to go in the other direction because in, over the course of four or five years that students are in undergrad, there's a tremendous amount of uh, fluctuation and fluidity and maturation and, and transformation that they undergo. And so to think that there's a particular way that a student has to believe or a particular expression of a set of doctrines that they need to as- ascribe to in order to be a part of this particular ecumenical christian community called Mir Christianity Forum is just not at all our approach.
1: That's that's helpful. You know, Rimesos, I think you and I graduated college around roughly the same time. I graduated 2004. Were you, you're, when very, were,
0: you're, you're very generous. <laughs> yeah, no, I finished in 1996. But, oh, is that right? Uh, I didn't thank, realize that. Thank okay. you. Thank you for the compliment. Yeah, It's the same within 10 years. You, you must flatter <laughs> all your podcasts. Yeah, yes, I'm very flattering. <laughs> that's right. Because you...
1: <laughs> No, that's funny. But okay, well, within a decade, though, and, and I think the statement will still hold that the, the experience of the college student in the late 90s and the early 2000s really has changed dramatically uh, in comparison to what uh, what it is now. And part of that is, I mean, there are a whole load of cultural changes that have contributed to that. But I also feel like th- the questions that were kind of emerging in col- uh, college ministry at my time, and that I think college ministers were wrestling with at the time, strike me as it's maybe somewhat different, maybe the challenges are a little bit different now than they were back then. Or maybe even to say it like when you started at Mere Christianity Forum, I have to imagine that there's been some kind of change in how college ministry is done and really just the challenges that you all are facing. Can you maybe say something about how the call has changed from when you were you know, starting 13 years ago to to now? do you think it's right in assuming that there has been a shift on in, in the experience?
0: Um, I, I definitely do. Uh, and yet I also think that there's some, I mean, one, one of the fun things about collegiate ministry is the kind of white hot now of. It's a great way of putting co- it right. Co- yeah. Uh, of, of collegiate life for students who are in a space of awakening. Even if they're not in a space of awakening, it's still often a kind of a white hot now, experientially, um, at least for, for folks who are are not still living at home, to a, to a lesser extent for people who are still living at home and doing undergrad. But I mean, today there's a huge amount of undergraduate students, you know, community college and non-residential college has exploded. And so the field of collegiate ministry is much broader than just sort of sequestered residential campus ministry um, based campus ministries. And so that, I mean, that's a, a real way that, you know, there's roughly 20 million college students in America right now, but there are actually more college students associated with commuter colleges than there are residential colleges, or at least then are living in, you know, dormitories or, or on campus housing. And so that's, that's a a really interesting way in which the field has changed over the last um, 25 years, 20 years. Um, Obviously, uh, I mean, it goes without saying that, you know, I can remember getting email um, like, getting the very first email account I ever had when I was, you know, a junior in college. So, you know, the, you know, the onset of virtual life, um, the internet and, and all of the many ways with, um, smartphones and otherwise that we're connected, um, and have access to information is radically different, you know, um, Leonard Sweet likes to talk about it as the shift from um, the Gutenberg era, the end of the Gutenberg era to the Google era. It's an I interesting way was, of of talking. It about is, it. About yeah, yeah, it is, yeah, and, and you know, he likes to talk about how this represents a, this sort of shift from and, and the real challenge to ministries in particular to to make the leap to hyperspace in the sense of he uses the analogy of, you know, many developing countries skipped the landline build-out phase of telecommunications altogether um, and went, just absolutely skipped all that and went directly to, to cellular connectivity. And um, he sort of points to how, you know, the church and ministries need to sort of figure that out and figure out how, what is it that we need to stop building out Um, vis-a-vis, you know, landline communication and styles and that era and jump into a much more um, Google-informed environment. And I would say that certainly from the time that I was in college and, you know, emerging, you know, when you were in early college to now is a dramatically different social and um, virtual environment. And the pace of everything seems faster and the longings and the tension that that creates in our students are really palpable. I mean, I knew fellow students who were kind of high strung or, you know, who were anxious and I mean, you know, that was normal. I mean, and lots of folks were worked up when we were at midterms or, or exams and I mean, you know, that was normal and people, you know, um, did the work hard, play hard, uh, you know, kind of way to to deal with that in lots of different expressions and forms but i would say in general the the general um level of anxiety and tension and complexity that my students are navigating on a daily basis is just more everything is just more um than than it was before you know, Do you,
1: would you attribute that primarily to technological changes, Rhymes? and oh, like maybe I would say practices of communication?
0: I would, but I would not point it just to the impact on on the young adults, but but largely on their family of origin and society more broadly. That students are just a little bit more of a kind of canary in the coal mine, um, sort of. I don't know uh, temperature check that they're actually reflecting a lot more of the kinds of environments that they're being, that they're coming from versus I just have a bunch of anxious and, you know, whatever students, and I'm, I don't want to overcharacterize them as such. I'm just saying compared to, you know, when I was in school or, or even when I began at, at MCF 13 years ago, I would say that that level of kind of tension, anxiety, anxiety, underlying complexities and how those complexities are working on my students, uh, yeah. mentally, emotionally, spiritually are just a lot more, um, significant than, than I would say. And, you know, you, just five years ago, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I feel like that, that's, um, ratcheting up. Mm-hmm.
1: And you this know, does now seem
0: to... We can layer yeah. in, sorry, no, no, are you go go layer, ahead, finish layer yeah. in, layer in pandemic, you know, and layer in, um, the uh, immense and important um, social and racial uh, moment that we're in in America right now, which I'm really grateful for. Um, I think it's long overdue that there's there was this sort of complacency and, and you know, can't we all get along and sort of, you know, aspire to colorblindness and all this sort of uh, I think, failed outlooks that, that are really now being exposed as, as deeply um, insufficient for rich, um, shared uh, communal life. And, um, yeah, the real, the real um, I think, p- pains of the inadequacy of those kinds of outlooks and, and policies and things are being exposed in, in new and, and, and very hurtful ways in a good way.
1: Yeah, you know, I wanted to go return to the, it does make sense, I want to return to the, I I guess you could say almost like the psychological health of your students. I mean, one of the things that seems pretty well borne out in, in, in data is that sort of the current college generation, including, and I would include millennials myself within that, there just seem to be the higher levels of depression. You know, among among these generations, and and that is really striking. You know, given given the level of, uh, given the level of access to sort of things that might mark externally the good life. You know, um, in, in compa- kind of historically speaking, in terms of uh, uh, long term, long term history, access to, you know, uh, health care and access to uh, food and, and shelter and whatnot, there's there are actually some remarkable benefits of living in this current moment. When you consider living in the 19th century, for example, or living in the 17th century, um, but the, you know this current moment seems to be producing a whole bunch of kid, you know, kids that uh, have high levels of depression, and you are seeing that kind of borne out uh, on the college campus in some remarkable ways. And so, any any thoughts on how that changes the ministry environment, or kind of things that you've had that have had to? Uh, changing your own thinking in order to address some of those challenges.
0: Yeah, and I did go on a bit of a rabbit trail there, Um, not really finishing my my former thought, which is that the thing that I love about campus ministry, as I mentioned, that sort of white hot now of be it experiential or for those students who have reached a more reflective place in their own journey. Um, You know, some students come to school, Chomping at the bit, you know, um, and then other students, it takes them more time to get to a place of, of greater kind of personal reflection and analysis, and really wanting to dig in to do some of that convictional commitment discernment work um, around meaning and identity and purpose and calling. Um, but I'll just say those things endure. And and really, what cuts across all of them is that desire to know and be known, that desire to belong, that desire to to have um, deeper human connection connectedness. So you know, as as I was thinking about what you were just saying about you know traditional markers of the good life or access to those kinds of things, i.e., healthcare, et cetera. Education otherwise, it really strikes me as those are things that I think are a bit more um, politically identified as such. And because there are policies that we can put in place to bring those things into being and to increase access, rightly so, particularly for people who have been. uh, fenced from the table, from those right. kinds of, of of opportunities. So, I think that's hugely important, and 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 agree with you completely. But I also am am seeing that a huge distinction from oh, say the nineteenth century and and just sort of the state of humanity is there was an interdependence and an interpersonal interconnectedness that was much more embodied than is present in society, or at least I'll just speak for among a number of the college students that I work with today. And that kind of interpersonal emotional intelligence and interpersonal um, community, for lack of a better term. And, I'm speaking in huge generalities, which you know, very broad stroke, which is also very critiquable and and, um, and unsound uh, methodologically in certain ways. But um, if you look at some of the numbers out there around friendship, okay, there's there, you know, how many how We're many loneliness people... for that matter? Yes, absolutely. Which obviously I, I think those are correlative. But um, uh, you know, it's like I forget maybe eight or ten years ago there was a study that came out about basically saying, you know, and 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 what's his um the guy that wrote Bowling Alone and I mean, you know, this is not um
1: Yeah, Robert Putnam's work Bowling
0: right, Alone. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, this is not uh original to me, right? I mean there are lots of folks who are talking about this. But I'll just say one of the biggest differences from both thirteen years ago when I began and um especially when I was in college, there was An embodied interpersonal um, relational capacity quotient that was just seemingly higher then than there is now among our students. And I think that for a faith like Christianity that is so contingent upon something like incarnation and that is contingent upon. Togetherness, um, and to a certain extent, to a lesser extent, unmediated togetherness—that there's something really to be learned and learned and um, experienced through uh, Christian practices and and um, the Christian life uh, well lived—that is a bit of an antidote to and an answer to a lot of what's missing. Um, but I find that students have a harder time knowing how to just hang out and be together and, and um, allow friendships to emerge in a different kind of pace and time. And I find that even in relationships, there's ratcheting up of tensions and expectations and perfection. And obviously there's this, you know, um, kind of trend uh, associated with cancel culture and when people fail you or, Um, fail at certain, um, you know, upholding certain perspectives or sharing certain perspectives, um, convictions, you know, there's this deep cancel culture and which, you know, has its roots, honestly, in evangelical Christianity, in my opinion. Um, This is not something I've spent a lot of time reflecting on, but, you know, there was plenty of cancel culture going around in terms of judgmental Christianity that I grew up in and around and and certainly find to be quite prevalent in South Carolina still. Um, but all that's to say, if you, if you bring that into focus with a group of students who are increasingly disconnected in embodied ways um, from human beings and have a harder time being comfortable with themselves and with one another, that relationality is stressed. And when that's one of the things that we all long for um, to know and be known, to have a sense of deep belonging and shared experiences with each other. And when those things are really suffering, man, it makes the other suffering much more um, painful that, that folks are having to navigate. That was a really long no, stretch no, no. there. Sorry. It's,
1: it's really important, Rhymes. And I wanted to direct people, I'll try to remember to put this in the notes, to a 2019 UGov poll that was done um, on, uh, on kind of friendship and loneliness. And here, just some of the top line, uh, issues. So they ask a the question, like, how often, if ever, do you feel lonely? That's, I think that was the first question mm. that they ask, mm. And then they divide this up by, you know, things like race and, and, and generations. I'll just say something about the generation side of things. And then also I'll say something about the male, female, the gender side, um, Gen Z, which they classify as 2000 and later says that, 17% say that they always feel lonely hmm. um, and then they, they the way they break the question down is it's always often sometimes rarely never so 70% of Gen Z say they always feel lonely 11% of Millennials say they always feel lonely 18% say often um, Gen X this is a huge jump so this is 65 to 81 4% say they always feel lonely <laughs> Four percent, and then uh, it, a baby boomers, five percent, and then silent generation, which is twenty-eight to forty-five, say three percent, um, and and so there is. That's just those who are saying that they always feel that way. It gets a little more complicated as you kind of move down the scale, but those are striking
0: numbers. Striking numbers. <laughs> I mean, what is so? What did you say? Seventeen percent
1: of Gen Z say they always yeah. feel lonely.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's like, (laughs) that makes me want to cry right now. And those are your students. literally. Those are your students. Oh yeah. No, no. Those are, those are my, what I'm saying. I mean, there's this, so to me, um, you know, if I had to put my finger on it, that would be one of the most dramatic differences. Um, And then the, the implications of all of that, right. Not just, you know, well, I got a bunch of lonely students, Um, but it's all of the, what is it that's coalescing from, Um, culture, from family of origin, from styles of contemporary friendship to, you know, hyper-mediated relationality, Um, you know, what are all those things? So yes, I would say it's quite different than, you know, when us Gen Zers, I mean, uh, Gen Xers were in college. Um, And anyway, yeah, so that's what I would say. I mean, there are other, there are plenty of other nuances and, and critical challenges. You know, right now, uh, again, I mean, we started naming them. I mean, um, the justice and equity um, deficiencies in uh, persistent ones in in American culture and um, American civic life um, in university contexts, uh, very prevalently, which have historically been at least traditional universities that are much more you know, campus oriented and, and um, exclusivist in, that, in in certain regards and expensive and all those kinds of things. Um, yeah. So, you know, that plus now a global pandemic plus the pandemics of, um, you know, hunger and persistent poverty and um, lack of access to those traditional markers, as you said, of human flourishing mm-hmm. or, or the good life, which I sort of relate, but don't see as quite the same. Um, and, uh environmental degradation you know is a huge um concern and is is an increasingly um anxiety producing thing um for for young people who are sort of like well, is there even going to be a there there anymore you know is there even going to be a here here anymore um or you know are, are all these <laughs> adults who can't get over themselves not going to pull the policy levers, quickly enough um to even ensure that there might be you know a here here for us um that's that's not small you know i mean that's creating a sense of and obviously there's lots of numbers about what a sort of a 9 and 11 and post 11 post 9 11 informed um kind of emotional uh quotient is for for young adults it's much more um millennial millennial associated lots of numbers around that but yeah
1: no that's that's all really really helpful reflections and i feel like the one of the big challenges is that in like in the current environment with all of our social media access like we what what seems to be happening is like you can be deeply you can be widely connected and not feel connection right (laughs) that's part of the problem and i think one of the nuts that that church ministers need to sort of crack is like how do we in, it, with people who have like massive friend and connection networks, how do you kind of create a sense of belonging, which is different, right? That's a different kind of thing. So maybe let me pose that question to you. Right. Given the kind of high levels of loneliness and, and a lack of connection that seems to be felt by college students right now, how, how do you go about thinking about creating genuine connection, like actual, the kind of connection that sort of addresses the monster of loneliness?
0: yeah so i mean a couple of answers in short um modeling it is one of the most important things that i think collegiate ministers in particular um ha- have a, a a calling to do um i don't know i don't, I don't want to put too much on that but modeling it interpersonally themselves and then modeling it through ministry opportunities. This is why for us, um, yes, it's fun when we can get 70, 80, 90 people in a room to have a really rich, uh, theological forum, um, around, you know, whatever existentialism and, um, all the important things that that we need to sort through with faith and theology and philosophy and um but at the same time in terms of my, my real uh longing as a minister as a as a, a pastor of students is to see them discern for themselves which theological forums and theological reflection and theological exploration is a critical piece of that. Um, But to discern for themselves their own sense of identity, convictional commitment, and interpersonal um, spiritual capacities, both to relate well to God, to themselves, and to other human beings and to creation. And, um, you know, Daniel Erlander uh, puts it, in a, a little book called Manna and Mercy. And I don't know if you're familiar with Daniel Erlander or not. So yeah. if not, I highly recommend. So you can look at, man- go to org, I believe. Um, but he was actually a campus minister in the tr- in the um, Presbyterian. No, he. I think he was Lutheran, actually. Sorry, he was Lutheran. So this is why I'm recommending you you know about Daniel. But anyway, um, and he wrote this. this, it's almost like a graphic, Novel. It's not a novel. It's it's basically a retelling, a Lucan um, retelling of the entire biblical story, and um, but he he harps on or uses this sort of um, repetition around friendship with God, friendship with one another, and friendship with with creation, and um, and I think that that's that's important on, on a whole number of levels but that, that is an our, interesting
1: recommendation that i was just looking at it in fact he is so strange he and i graduated from the same undergrad um <laughs> we were both pacific lutheran university grads i did That's not know of, right. i did not know of him but uh that might wow, be worth following yeah. up yeah I,
0: absolutely yeah um i think he's deceased now if not he's in it well into his upper 80s so um he and i think he wrote *Manit and mercy maybe in like 82 or 85 if i'm not mistaken um but it's really really an important book and i we use it a lot with our students especially those who live in intentional christian community at vista house um because i think it's always important for students to develop their capacities to bounce from the big picture into the the small picture from the macro to the micro to you know broad theological and and scriptural um you know worldview to use the more kind of uh culture code language i mean um culture warrior language, uh, which I don't like, but um, all the way down to like, um, are we, you know, purveyors of microaggression with those with, with our housemates living in intentional Christian community. So always bouncing between big picture and small picture, the cosmic and um, the immediately embodied. So helping students um, do that work uh, well where they're, Um, where their convictional commitments are not disembodied commitments um, that just have some nice maybe data or a really strong professor who impressed it upon them, but they're unable to really translate it into um, what their life and their decision-making power, their spending power, their investing power, both in terms of time and talents and resources or time and energy and emotion Um, kinds of implications are so we really try and help students you know wrestle with those things
1: yeah you just tripped over something that or i just tripped over something in some that comment you made that kind of reflective translation from like the immediate need of my neighbor or um, whatever the kind of really ethical issue might be in front of us to kind of thinking then about things cosmically theologically um, that is I think actually an increasingly difficult thing for uh, some of my seminary students to do. In fact, I was in a conversation <laughs> with a, with a colleague who uh, 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 who I'm teaching with in the fall and we were talking about this, this, this kind of shift in the mind, like how do you facilitate conversations that allow people to, it's not about getting out of the ethical stuff and then moving to like something more abstract. That's not, that's the wrong dichotomy, but it is about thinking uh, both in terms of the immediate and then also in terms of like maybe we could talk about it in terms of God's broader story or we could think about it, like you said cosmically or, or, or theologically and there's something that within the current kind of several batches of students where I, I see there is a difficult transition there and I haven't been able to put my finger on how to give it language so I'm fighting with it a little bit but what are your, what are your thoughts on why that is often a difficult transition for students?
0: It's a great question. I mean, I think that at least in terms of undergrads, you know, they've been a lot more, I mean, you know, they're basically um, eight, 17, 18, 19 years old, uh, twenty twenty-two, if they're, you know, in their later years of undergrad, and and I'm speaking around a more traditional kind of four year ish, closely after uh, high school kind of entrance. There, you know, uh, he, the the majority of of folks doing undergrad are are actually in a broader age spectrum than that. But at Furman, that's more my um, the folks that I'm working with, and and so that's the 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 very very distinct bias of out of which I'm speaking. I actually think that there's a a couple things going on there. And one is related to that part that I just pointed to a minute ago, which is um, interpersonal relationality, right? Embodied relationships um, of significance, not just acquaintance. When that's diminished, I think it actually changes and impacts all of those other things. Suddenly it's harder or it's it's not natural to imagine the consequences of your musings, of your um, ideating, of your um, theologizing, philosophizing, uh, economizing into human interrelational terms. And so it's a lot easier to get really, really committed to an ideal or a principle or a theology or a doctrine when it's its inevitable implications for human relationality and human experience are divorced from it if that makes sense um so i I really think that these the earlier thing we were talking about and this thing that you're asking are are deeply deeply related and um you know i i do think last bit on that um you know for a lot of us gen xers going to college and learning critical thinking and critical reflection skills and learning the realm. I mean, you know, I can still remember taking and doing really poorly in, you know, philosophy 101. I mean, I don't remember what our actually course numbers were, but it's basically intro to philosophy as a fall term freshman student. Cause I was like, yes, I wanna go to college and like do philosophy. What's that? And then I just got hammered with it, you know, and just, um, and I was like, always, well, what's, how does this matter? Why does this matter for like, the human beings that i know and so now i find that you know the critical and um ideation and principles and theories that's the word i've been wrestling to find you know uh, the theoretical um comes a lot more naturally actually to our students in some ways because they've been i mean allah uh what's the um the guy's name i'm I'm having trouble remembering all the, but, um, good sheep, excellent sheep. Do you know this book? Oh, let me see. Excellent sheep. It's basically about how like the U S education system and particularly higher education is great at making good sheep, you know, people who can, mm-hmm. um, uh, who can test well you know, who, who yeah, can, William,
1: uh, DeRosevitz, looks like maybe, I, know, I don't think right. I'm getting the last right, name. Oh, yeah. Excellent sheet, yeah. the miseducation of the American that, elite and the way to, there you go. Life. That's, that's interesting. I've not it. read this. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I, I, I recommend it. Um, it's about this concept around how, you know, students are really able to kind of lash on to ideas and then regurgitate them. Right. In other words, We've, we can create good sheep with our systems. We have a really hard time with the deeper critical and therefore f- ethical reflection that translates into what to do with and mm. about that, particularly at the interpersonal level or developing policies and practices and um, institutions that are sensitive to much less committed to human flourishing through their policies and procedures and practices that are in alignment with their quote values or their, um, you know, theological uh, theoretical frameworks. And I find that right now it's, it's really flipped. It was much more of a challenge to sort of get me and my contemporaries to move into that, you know, really heady, important with a world of ideas and um, you know, critical uh, theoretical exploration um and now it's actually easier to do that with with our students um especially if it's done well and a kind of even an e- easily mediated or replicated space i.e you know um uh, powerpoint and other you know obviously powerpoint so like 1993 now but um but you know uh, presentation rich <laughs> you know uh, image rich uh video, much less video laden which is everything right now so um i find helping students really get into the what are the implications for relation human relationships and and for for real human beings and entering into the human experience of other people is where deep learning and transformation and maturation as human beings and as christians is the, is what's needed
1: No, I think I think all that's really helpful and right. And um, unfortunately, it kind of brings us up to the end of our time. Um, You know, I I think we probably got halfway through our question list, maybe. But that, (laughs) but that just that just shows. No, 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 no. That just shows that we were no, we were into some good stuff. And I think we are. I I really am convinced that um, that is on the seminary side, which is my side of things, that we are really behind the curve. And I say that mainly about myself. uh in terms of thinking about how to uh kind of educate this upcoming batch of students, which you know, those of you in college will send to us. And I think we're really behind the curve. And I think it's also really important that seminary folks are in touch with people doing college ministry more than ever. I'm trying to have those conversations as often as I can. You know, our mutual colleague Adam White uh has been very helpful here. Um and, and, and others that I know in college ministry. And I just think there is a lot of fertile ground that needs to be explored there if we're going to be any way effective in terms of educating future uh, future ministers. So, Rhymes, thank you so much for your time. Blessings on you and your ministry. And I know things are probably still somewhat up in the air for the fall uh, regarding what you all are going to be doing, but, but uh, I pray that all of that goes well for you.
0: Well, I I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. It's very generous of you to include me in these awesome podcasts and um, wish you the very best as well, both um, in your uh, online ministry uh, and and work, um, leading edge thinking, uh, thought work here, um, but also uh, in seminary training um, of folks.
1: Thanks, Rams. Have a great day. Same to you. Thank you for listening to the Gospel Beautiful Podcast. I really hope that you benefited from the conversation. If you did, make sure to leave a five-star review. Also, make sure that you're subscribed so that you can receive updates whenever new episodes drop. Thank you very much.